Hi, my name is Caroline Chang, and this is the introduction to episode two of my new series, Truth and Freedom, Can We Please Have a Conversation? I have as my guests on this episode, Dr. Andrew Kaufman and Dr. Judy Nikovich, who are both friends of mine. I am recording this intro separately so I can put on YouTube. Um, YouTube censors, we all know this. Anybody that knows truth knows that YouTube censors truth. So this introduction is for YouTube. The link to the entire show will be below. Um, I uh, first got active in the truth and freedom movement at the very beginning of, of March, 2020, because I could see what was happening, what the globalists were doing, and that every word on the news was not true. I, I, I knew that instinctively. I was awakened to the globalists um, in 2012, um, the globalist elite. It's not uh, conspiracy theory. This is conspiracy truth, conspiracy fact. Um, I learned of Dr. Andrew Kaufman and Dr. Judy in spring of 2020. I learned of Dr. Kaufman's work from David Icke um, interview on London Real, April 6th of 2020. I learned about Dr. Judy Mikovic's work um, on May 4th. The, almost a month apart, um, on May 4th of 2020 with the release of Plandemic 1. Um, so I that's when I first heard of them and listened to their work and started following their work. I actually met uh, Dr. Judy in person when I was speaking at an unmasked um, rally in California second time. I've only been to California twice in my life. Um, and it was the second time I went to California to speak at the Unmasked Rally. And also Dr. Judy was also one of the speakers. And we met, she autographed my book. Oh, I'm going to grab it. She gave me this book, Plague of, Plague of Corruption, and autographed it for me. Thank you, Dr. Judy. And then I also met Dr. Andy in person. Um, I think before that, I think I met Dr. Andy in the fall of 2020. I met uh, Dr. Judy in January of 2021. Um, but I met in person Dr. Andy in person the fall of 2020 at a lecture he and um, Dr. Tom were giving upstate New York which is not too far from me. And I drove to that lecture and met them both in person. So I consider Dr. Judy and Dr. Andy friends of mine. I have the utmost respect and the utmost love for both of them. And I was even uh, a relative of mine. So how can you be friends with both? Because they don't agree. And I'm like, it's not about agreeing. Um, you can have friends and loved ones and relatives you don't agree with. And you don't have to argue. You don't have to fight. You don't have to debate. Everyone is entitled to their own unique perspective. You can share and love and like. I have these conversations all the time with people that have different viewpoints than myself. I have 
conversations, sharing my viewpoint, allowing them to share their viewpoint. The important thing is to listen, to listen to what other people are saying. You don't have to agree, but you want to listen so you can understand where that other person is coming from. And at the end of the day, it's not about agreeing. It's about having love and respect. That is how we get to world peace. It's unity within diversity. And this is a very interesting conversation that we had, and it was a conversation and not an argument, not a fight, not a bait. I did say to Dr. Andy in this conversation that there is a virus out there. There's a virus called ego. And the, the virus called ego um, leads to a illness called I have to be right itis. Here's the thing, you don't have to be right. Okay, you can be grounded in what you believe and not force that upon another person. You can listen to another person with a different viewpoint and not have an argument because what the globalists want is for to divide and conquer. They have two weapons and it is called fear, keeping the masses of people, the population in a state of fear and also dividing the population so they fight each other and they're not looking up at who's the puppet masters pulling the strings on both sides of the whatever disagreement you have, the, the, the puppet master is one. And they're like, oh, look at them. Look at them fighting. That's what we want <laughs> because it's all about energy. It's all about keeping your vibration high. I know that I am a sovereign divine being of light. And I know that um, the light has already won this chess match. I don't call it a war because words have vibration. I call it a chess match. It is a spiritual chess match and the light has already won. So I am on top of the world. And I am so thankful to Dr. Andy Kaufman and Dr. Judy Mikovits for spending two hours with me in a conversation. So without further ado, here is the conversation. Please click on the link below so you can see the, if you're on YouTube, click on the link below so you can see the entire conversation. Thank you. Much love. Welcome to the new series, Truth and Freedom. Can we please have a conversation? Okay, I'm Caroline Chang, and I have, um, I launched my podcast, Awake to Oneness Radio, over seven years ago when my son transitioned. Um, but since March of 2020, um, I've taken on more of that mission has not gone to the wayside, but it, my mission now has become to help awaken not only spiritually to who we are, but awaken to um, the what's going on in the world today, especially since March 2020. Um, okay, so I I um, had, had started this series a month or so ago with the first episode was with Dr. Um, Richard Fleming. And today we're having a conversation with Dr. Judy Mikovits 
and Dr. Andy Kaufman. Now, I've been involved now since day one of the pandemic, and I'm going to call it what it is, a pandemic. I've been involved with volunteering wherever I can. Um, so I was, I was a volunteer for the Arise USA tour last summer, summer of 2021, with Sasha Stone and Robert David Steele. And then I also volunteered this past spring for Crimes Against Humanities tour, um, which was organized by Nash Singh, and Judy was one of the speakers on the tour. Now, the interesting thing that happened with both tours, a year apart, is within a month, they fell apart. <laughs> they just kind of split. And I was like, oh, I said, I called, I texted Sasha. I'm like, deja vu. Here I am helping out with another tour and the same thing happens. So that's where the idea for this series came from. Truth and freedom. Can we please have a conversation? Because it's so important that the truth and freedom movement stays united. Okay. So, um, like I said, my involvement with the tour, and even someone said when the first tour broke up, you have to take a side. I was told by a technical person on the tour, I have to take a side. Like, that's not me. I'm, that, I, I'm not about taking sides. I'm about finding, um, a, we can agree to disagree, but we can still have a conversation and we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. So um, I, this when the same thing happened, I had a, con a new con Judy. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how I met Judy and Dr. Um, Andy. I met Dr. Judy when I was a speaker in January of 2021 in California. Mm -hmm. Second time I had ever been to California and we met in person and she signed a, um, a, a book, a plague of correct uh plague of corruption yes she signed it and autographed it to me i was so honored um i first learned of dr judy when the pandemic one came out in may i think may 4th he told me the date judy may 4th of 2020 was the date that that came out and so i discovered you and your work and i discovered dr andy um when my love David Icke, <laughs> just love him. When David Icke mentioned Andy, April 6th of 2020 um, on London Real. And as soon as um, I wrote down the name and I started researching Andy and I found at that time he had YouTube. <laughs> I don't know if you still have YouTube. And both Dr. Judy and Dr. Andy have been a guest on Awake to Oneness Radio both of those shows were censored. I've never been, I've had my show for seven, over seven years. I've never been censored before, but except for the last year and a half, I've been censored. So I now have to upload to different platforms that don't censor like YouTube. We know censors like this show cannot go on YouTube. Okay. Cause everybody's going to be able to say what is in their heart and have a real conversation. So, um, so the mission of this series is to help unite the truth and freedom movement because like, I experienced it with two different tours. Um, and I know that Dr. Andy and Dr. Judy, I love them both equally. I have the utmost respect for both of them equally. I know they don't agree on everything. Now, how the, the this whole conversation that we're having now came about was I was talking to Dr. Judy and she was explaining to me what was hap what had happened 
on the Crimes Against Humanity tour. And in, in that conversation, I said, well, I'm good friends with Dr. Andy Kaufman. She said, hmm, I'd like to have a conversation <laughs> with Dr. Andy, because the last time you guys kind of, you know, got things got a little heated, we'll just say that. And so I understood, and I was like, ooh, let me see if I can make that happen. And thankfully, I was able to make that happen. So um, one of the things the globalists, now myself, I've been away to the globalist elite since 2012. And so when March 2020 started to roll around, I saw completely what was going on. I knew every word. I stopped watching mainstream news in, 20, uh, in 2001, right after 9-11. I have not watched a second, except for when I was with Judy. I had not watched a second main, mainstream news, but I, that was Fox, so it was okay. It was, <laughs> but um. I don't watch news. Everybody that watches my show and has been watching my show from the beginning knows I don't watch news. Um, so I knew what the globalists were all about um, from 2012, and I could see what they were doing. They're, they have two weapons. The globalist weapon is fear and divide and conquer. So this show is to combat the divide and conquer. And from my show, you will never get fear. Because fear is, uh, they feed off of our emotions and they feed off low emotions like fear. Everything is energy. That's how I came about doing this work is knowing that everything is energy. And we have to keep our vibration high. And when our vibration is high, they can't touch us. They can't touch me, you know, and I, I know that. Um, so the, the mission of this show is to help to, unite the truth and freedom movement because I know that Andy, Dr. Andy, I like to say doctor, I said to doc, uh, Dr. Andy before we started recording because of how I was raised, I like to say doctor even though he prefers to be called Andy. So I'm going to say Dr. Andy and Dr. Judy just I was raised that way, okay? <laughs> even though both my parents are no longer here in the physical, I still yeah, do it when I was raised. Okay, now one of the things that was interesting with my conversation with Dr. Richard Fleming, I was very surprised when I had that first, did that first episode with him because I thought we would agree on at least 70% of, you know, the truth and the things that the truth and freedom doctors and everybody's talking about, you know, speaking up about against, I thought we would be in agreement. We were not. The, the one of the things I had asked him, I asked him about the COVID shots, if they met the definition of a vaccine, his answer was, and this is all recorded, and if, for public knowledge, his answer was, they've always met. The COVID shots have always met the definition of a vaccine. And then I said to him, but well, then why did the CDC change the definition after the COVID shots were rolled out? He didn't think that was the, he thought I made that up. And, and he wanted me to actually go back and find it. And I tried, actually I was with Judy in Virginia Beach and he's emailing me asking me to find the proof that the CDC changed the definition. Everybody knows the CDC changed the definition of vaccine after 
the rollout of the COVID shots. Okay, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe he'll get that. And um, then also, um, I mentioned to him real world data, because he kept speaking about CDC data. And I was like, well, I'm, especially now, especially since these shots have been out for what now, almost two years come, come this December, it will be two years. Um, we have real world data. And the real world data is showing that there, the uh, death rate worldwide did not increase in 2020, meaning there was not a pandemic in 2020. Uh, the shots were rolled out in December of 2020. And since then, the death rate globally has gone through the roof. Um, and that's from real world data from life insurance companies and uh, funeral home directors. So I mentioned life insurance companies to him. And he said, the life insurance, he said it very slyly. You guys can look at the, look at the footage. Um, he said, life insurance companies lie. And I'm thinking, well, now, wait a second. I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, why would they lie to make it look like the shots are killing people? And they didn't lie in 2020 to make it look like COVID was killing people. So it, it made no sense what he said, but he said it like the CNN and MSNBC, where they say things, they just put that out there in the atmosphere with no evidence and no, e no reasoning even why. You know, not even, okay, you make a statement and try to back up the statement you just made. He didn't. Okay. So my conversation with him continued even after our two and a half hours via email. And that whole email exchange is on my website. So I want people to be able to see my entire conversation with Dr. Richard Fleming. But I almost felt like, are you working for Fau Fauci, honestly, when in speaking to him? Because he's supposed to be on truth and freedom side. And truth and freedom doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a po political party. Um, it doesn't have a religion. It doesn't have any of the things that the globalists have used for eons to try to divide us. You have people who are standing up for truth and freedom um, of all colors, of all political parties, of all religions, because I'm one of them. I say I am not political at all. And um, I just, I, I'm like, I know what resonates is true for me. And it's more of a heart knowing than a mind knowing. And that's what I share. And you don't, people don't have to agree with it. I always say to people, do your own homework. You know, don't have to agree with what I'm saying. And to, to Dr. Richard Fleming, if anything I have said uh, was misinterpreted from our conversation, please, you're always welcome to come back on my show. Okay, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the, um, the, the, act, the 1986 act, which I'm thankful to David Martin to remind me of this. He, he mentioned this before, but he mentioned it again yesterday. Um, the 1986 act, which many people um, do not realize that that is protecting the pharmaceutical companies. Oh, I, I, before I even, I wanted to say, okay, Pfizer paid the largest criminal fine in U.S. history in 
2009, Pfizer paid the largest U.S. criminal fine, criminal fine of 2.3 billion, not million, 2.3 billion dollars for um, illegal marketing. And that was illegal marketing for a product that they were liable for. Now, when we come to these vaccines, um, childhood vaccines and COVID vaccines, since 1986, there have been a, an act in place that protects the pharmaceutical companies from liability. And now, now on top of the 1986 act, you have the emergency use um, act. So they're doubly protected from any harm that they do. And still, most people are unaware of this. Most people that are rolling up their sleeve to get these experimental shots are unaware of the fact that these companies have no liability. However, thanks to David Martin, he remind, he, he goes through everything with a fine-tooth comb. In the 1986 Act, there are three things in there that actually voids their liability. Number one is fraud. If there is evidence of fraud that the pharmaceutical companies have done whatever they have done fraudulently, it voids their um, liability shield. And they have to maintain the VAERS reporting system, must be maintained accurately. And in um, 2015, Harvard did an independent study that showed that VAERS um, was reporting less than 1% of harm and deaths due to the public. So right there, number two, back in 2015, when that came out, that right there voided their liability shield. Um, and also, if they, if there's the VAERS data indicates that the injuries and the deaths exceed a certain percentage, they like they had a percentage, a small percentage of if a small percentage of people die or get harmed, they're okay. But if it exceeds that small percentage, which which COVID shots, I mean, it's out there, it's it's ridiculous. The COVID shots, um, and they're underreported is more than all of the shots, um, all of the injuries that and deaths that have been reported to VAERS since the beginning of VAERS, which was like the late nine, um, late eight, I think it was 1989 is when they started VAERS or, or 1990. But the COVID in less than two years is far exceeding that. So there's no way that they are still um, protected. They are not protected. And I love that David Martin has brought this uh, information out because nobody's talking about it. Okay, now this conversation, okay, I guess yeah, a lot of people are like, okay, when are we going to get to Dr. Andy and Dr. Judy? We're going to get there now. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Uh, okay, this conversation, okay. this conversation is between two people who have different perspectives okay and it is possible to have a conversation with someone with that ha has a different perspective and not let it turn into an argument a debate or a fight 
Okay, now I'm gonna say this to Andy. Andy, there is a virus that causes a disease. Cause the the name of the disease is I have to be right itis. Okay, and the virus that causes that disease is the ego. Okay, so in this conversation, I'm gonna ask everybody, including me, which I'm just going to be more of a spectator in a few minutes, but um, everybody just lay their ego aside, okay? So for this conversation, I want everybody to open up the ears and really listen to what the other person is saying. I think that's extremely important because I have these conversations all the time with people I don't agree with, but I listen to what they're saying. So at least I know where they're coming from. I don't have to agree with where they're coming from, but at least I know where they're coming from. And I know with both of you, because I know both of you, I know both of you are coming from uh, your heart. You're trying to help save humanity. You're both doing that. That I know without a doubt. So, and, and I like for us to start the conversation by each of you saying, not just giving your uh, professional credentials, but also saying, tell the audience who you are and why you're doing what you're doing, especially the past two and a half years. And I like us to end on this note. I like us to end on the things you guys agree on, because I know there's things you agree on. So I like us to end on that. And one other thing I'd like to ask the both of you is to try to speak in layman's terms as much as possible. And if, if it feels like you're getting deep in the weeds, as Dell would say, uh, where you're, you know, people may not be understanding, I will ask you to tr maybe try to rephrase that more in layman's terms so everybody listening can understand this conversation. Is that okay? Is that sure. good? Okay. Sounds great. All right. So can we please, I'd like to start with Andy. Andy, will you please share with the listeners your um, professional background and why you're doing what you're doing? Yes, uh, absolutely, uh, Caroline. And thank you so much. You know, you really uh, have such a special and unique energy and bringing people together in this movement is really key. And there are uh, very few people who can bridge the divide and, uh, you know, bring people together uh, who may be sometimes reluctant, not in this case, but, uh, but it's so important to have these dialogues. So I come from, you know, the allopathic medicine um, pedigree that I was a psychiatrist, a general psychiatrist and forensic psychiatrist. I was on the faculty at a medical school. I had several leadership positions. I did clinical care. I taught students. I testified in a variety of uh, matters, including trials, even a murder trial one time. Um, I also am an inventor. I had a startup medical device company um, trying to help uh, people from suicide attempts, actually. And ultimately, I realized that what I was doing in medicine and prescribing medications and um, all the things that were part of the allopathic system were not helping the patients that I was working with. And I began to look outside the system and initially was um, inspired to do some uh, nutritional work and had amazing results. And then 
went on a different path. And ultimately, I'm really just interested in the truth about biology, health, and nature. And everything that I've gone through, um, you know, this kind of evolutionary path for myself uh, has been trying to get closer and closer to truth. And I had to do just as you say to lay down my ego because I had to admit that I was wrong about virtually everything and also, um, you know, forgive myself for the mistakes I made, like, for example, actually vaccinating my children when they were younger before I looked into the dangers of vaccinations. So it has been uh, somewhat of a, a real uh, challenging transformation. And of course, once I decided to come out publicly with the truth that was against my profession and my former identity, I was faced with much criticism, ostracism, uh, rejection from former friends and colleagues, uh, being fired from my job, uh, you know, all of the, and I know Judy has experienced, uh, you know, probably even much worse than I have, all of the scrutiny, even, you know, being detained uh, by authorities, uh, you know, years ago. So um, I know that many of us in this fight have faced this, and I really come to the table today just to have, try to have an open discussion, try to get at the deeper uh, truths and to, you know, bridge our efforts into a more unified uh, resistance against the globalist elite uh, forces of tyranny. I muted myself. <laughs> now, that's wonderful, because uh, like you said, the, the globalists, they don't care what we're fighting about, long as we're fighting each other and not them. They're happy. Like, oh, look at them fighting each other while we're pulling the strings. And you mentioned the vaccina vaccinating your children. My daughter was diagnosed with MS at 23 years old in 2003. I know now from the past two and a half years, and I had Dr. Sherry Tenpenny um, as a guest, I know it's from the MMR vaccine she got as a baby. She was diagnosed um, and 20, oh, I mean, in 03, at 23, and now she's 41, and she's been in a wheelchair for the past seven years, or six, about six years, she's been in a wheelchair. And I have now, I'm very holistic, you know this about me, Andy, and I have, and I've been holistic since 98. And I have tried, I've shared, I've had guests on my show that were diagnosed with MS that are completely fine, living normal, healthy lives because they have changed their entire way of eating, they're meditating, they're, you know, doing yoga, they're doing all these healthy things that help them overcome or because the normal um, allopathic medicine says there's no cure for MS. So many people have cured themselves from MS. So it definitely, there's a there's a cure for everything, I believe, and it's in nature. Um, my daughter, like daughter and, and mother and daughter relationships, my daughter doesn't listen to a word I say, but it's, you know, it's all good. But she is definitely, so I definitely have a vaccine injured child. Okay, thank you, Annie, for that. And Judy, please yes. share with the audience first your, your um, professional 
background. And then, wait a second, Andy, you did share your, I'm sorry, Judy, going back to Andy, you did share your professional background, but you didn't share who you are as a person and why you're doing what you're doing. So let's, let's do that. And then we'll come back to Judy. Well, it's kind of a challenging, you know, question uh, really to ask, but uh, I have uh, many roles and, you know, I see myself as an educator, as a, a caretaker, a father figure. Um, family is extremely important to me. I have two young children, uh, ages 10 and 13, and they're my top priority and my biggest actually motivation to do this particular work to preserve their future opportunities and, um, you know, lives. And I also am a very spiritual man. I used to be a materialist atheist before I broadened my perspective and uh, became a truth seeker. And actually trying to find the truth is really a main focus of my spiritual path because it leads to justice. And perhaps my overarching principle that really motivates me to do this, you know, life's work is the pursuit of justice for really for all men and women, um, you know, under God, the way that it was meant to be. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, like I said, my path in this started was spiritual. And in my spiritual awakening was science. Okay, quantum physics gave me my spiritual awakening. So um, I understand quantum physics from a layman's term. And when I give my talks, I always, I, I talk about quantum physics and people come up to me afterwards and say, I get it because I'm not a scientist <laughs> and I'm explaining it to them where they, they get it, quantum physics. So, okay, Judy, please <laughs> now share with our audience your uh, professional background and why you're doing what you're doing now. Can, can I first um, ask a question? Because in the beginning, um, you said you're going to um, keep terms simple. And for your audience, if, if Andy would just drill down on what is allopathic, you both use those terms. What's that classical education look like that Andy realized was wrong because he said he was wrong no he wasn't wrong he was educated to do something that he learned um he was he was educated on something that wasn't based on truth it was it was based on you know a, a wrong practice of medicine and so he moved more towards you know we we call it what do we call it um alternative and, and you see, you, you keep talking about David Martin, because I think, you know, Plandemic, the movie, really not anything to do with that first movie, which I'll describe, but Plandemic, the movie, Indoctrination, which you've mentioned David Martin several times. And, and that was really the guy that opened everybody's eyes, including mine. And you reminded me, or you told me or taught me in Virginia Beach there uh, we didn't get much sleep, did we? <laughs> at, in Virginia Beach, um, at, at the Clay Clark Reawaken America event, you reminded me that you knew of David Martin um, long before Mickey Willis knew of David Martin. Yes, I had him first. 
I had him first. So I had him on my show in April of 2020. So what he showed us in indoctrination was, in fact, that um, let's just say um, MDs, you know, medicine, the Rockefellers, you know, when these drugs started increasing rates of cancer, when that practice of allopathic medicine was put in play and cancer rates started increasing, um, and I'll talk about that when I answer your question. Um, then he simply created the American Cancer Society. And, and so, and that put a ruse of good people and good people who are interested in helping. And I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'll just say that in the Christian's perspective of God and truth and exactly what Andy just said, we're one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Well, liberty is is pursuit of happiness, but pursuit of happiness is your God-given purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And so what David Martin showed us in, in, and Mickey Willis brought to life in that film was, was literally the crimes against humanity that were intentionally planned to take advantage of good people. And we're donating to the American Cancer Society, which is just driving the disease. And so, um, so I just wanted to define allopathic in the educational, drill down on that education, because I can't explain my background in the, the very, very different educations we get until we understand what that means. And, and so if he could help me with that, and there was one other thing. Andy, you are the let, of course, Andy, yeah. I, of course, I'm going to let Andy answer that. He's okay. the one who was educated in it, but yeah. okay. Okay. Well, you know, I, I actually did a film about this uh, called Hippocratic uh, Hypocrisy on my website. Uh, that's worth checking out a much more in-depth answer. But essentially, it's the, you know, the current uh, mainstream paradigm of medicine, also known as cut, burn, poison, because it relies on three types of therapeutic modalities, surgery, um, pharmaceuticals, and radiation therapy. And, you know, there are some important attributes about it that make it very limited. So one is that it doesn't really have explanations for most illness, and it doesn't have any cures for any illnesses. And it has essentially a subscription business model where you subscribe to a certain diagnosis and then you receive drugs that may change over time on a monthly basis, you know, for the rest of your life to essentially manage or reduce symptoms to make life livable, but never really being able to return to full functioning, always being distracted by chronic illness or recurrent illness. Right. And, and so in psychiatry, um, what does that look like? Like, um, do you do tests to prescribe drugs? I'm just asking these questions. And then yeah. I'm looking at your logo behind you. So will you explain that word as well? Because I don't understand that either. That's okay. <laughs> well, the logo is actually kind of my my solution to the problems of allopathic medicine. And what it says is medicamentum authentica, and that's Latin for authentic medicine or true medicine. And I chose to write it in Latin because we uh, briefly discussed earlier today changing definitions, which happens a lot in the modern age. And since Latin is a dead language, 
the definitions can never uh, be changed or revised, so I chose to preserve the semantics of that notion uh, with, with that logo. Now, psychiatry, in many senses, is even worse than the rest of allopathic medicine because in the clinical practice, they do follow the model, but they also do something additionally, which is they directly deprive people of their civil rights and liberties. And they do this in a number of ways, and I was expected to do this, and I actually rebelled against it and even wrote some editorial pieces criticizing it, but using commitment to confine someone to a hospital, um, you know, the you become put in the role of jailer as a psychiatrist. And there is, you know, of course, a judicial review process, but you really can detain someone in many states for even up to two weeks before they can even get a hearing to challenge it. And this is done as a matter of fact, and I've seen many, many doctors lie on these forms in order to justify the convenience for their sake of a commitment like that the police department will provide transportation rather than having to pay the cost of an ambulance. Or if the person changes their mind about receiving treatment and wants to leave, then they can't leave, and then you have no liability if they leave against your advice. So, you know, this uh, type of additional control, and I believe that many of the pharmaceutical agents are not about reducing symptoms, but about making docile uh, individuals out of people who might be problematic. They might speak loudly in public. Uh, they uh, may be squatters and homeless um, and be undesirable, and so it seeks to subdue them with essentially chemical restraint. Wow. I had no idea. Well, I'm saying wow, too. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying wow, too, because I have to, well, I'm going to share this quickly when you say that, uh, Dr. Andy, about the psychiatry, um, I tried to kill myself when um, in 2011 in the hospital in Philadelphia, when doctors asked me to allow them to take my son off of life support. And I said, no, never gave my permission. My son did not pass. <laughs> okay, um, that time, this is, this is December, 2011. Doctors took me out of the room. I was living in his ICU room where he's on life support. I'm living in the room for five, five weeks. And then they take me out. They, they asked me to come out to, the, out to a different room because they know that the patients can still hear what's going on. So then they asked me, um, we don't think your son's going to make it. Can we please take him off life support? And I said, no, I do not give my permission. But I knew in my mind, I was checking out of here. I was not going to live through having to bear. I wrote a went up to a, a little tiny waiting room, wrote a suicide note. I am not going to bury my son. Took the, the strongest thing I could find was over-the-counter sleeping pills. Took the whole bottle with a bottle of water. I was unconscious for about two and a half days. Uh, I remember briefly waking up in the ER. Then, um, then when I was in, um, what's the thing after ER, it's, um, it was ICU. It was another ICU room and they had all these monitoring my heart, heart and stuff. But I say all that to say, um, I, my son, a week after that, 
pulled himself off life support and he was completely fine. But see, they had me still in the hospital and they let me see him, but they, they I, it was a technicality where they could not commit me. They tried to commit me um, a, week, a week after that happened, but it was too late. And um, they gave me an appointed um, attorney and he's like, well, I think I can get them on a technicality because they waited too long to try to commit you. And he did. I, they could not commit me. And so, and I, and, and two weeks after that, me and my son went home together. So, so whew, thank God for technicalities. <laughs> right. But, uh, um, yeah, so, um, Judy, please. So now, um, share your background and, and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, yeah, so, um, I, um, I, I'm uh, trained as a, my first degree from University of Virginia was a bachelor's degree in um, chemistry with a specialization in biology. I, uh, I, I was at the university from 1976 through 1980, really only the second class of women in the um, in the University of Virginia's um, uh basic university, not just nursing, where, where they'd been confined to. So the first class was um, Katie Couric uh, of news. So you start to see, you know, um, that, that also in, in 1976 was first year they had um, women in the Naval Academy. So interesting enough. Um, but at any rate, so I went to university to study biochemistry, but they did not have a biochemistry program. So that's how old I am. I'm getting grayer every day. <laughs> so um, and 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 the reason is, is because I'm, I'm a Native American um, a Cherokee Indian, as you know, we both are um, Caroline and um my family is healing. And, and my grandfather died when I was about 12 year old, 12 years old of lung cancer. And, um, and yes, of course he smoked cigarettes, but that had nothing to do with that. Um, and I'm like, well, there, there should be a way to heal nutritionally according to our traditions, um, with plants and food, um, from lung cancers, um, you know, because tobacco is actually quite a healing plant and, and maybe the cigarette smoking is, you know, the filters and other things. And, and I didn't, and, and then at that time when he first got cancer, um, they didn't tell anybody, you know, it was a closet disease. Nobody had cancer. They didn't know if it was infectious. They didn't know um, how, how people got cancer. And of course they were making associations with cigarette smoking, which is not tobacco. And, and so as, as a food and, and, and basically the poisoning of our foods environmentally, which we, I didn't appreciate till, you know, decades later. In fact, I didn't appreciate, uh, until, um, decades later about asbestos and mesothelioma cancer of the lining of the lung that my grandfather um, actually worked on the railroad in fruit growers express. So what he did all day long was spray asbestos in railroad cars. And so they blamed him and his cigarette smoking for the cancer 
when what was probably going on was a combination of the asbestos in his lungs driving inflammatory inflammation as, as um, his lungs were trying to clear the asbestos, the fiber poisoning that was getting into his lungs. Um, so at any rate, um, you know, uh, years later, I went to the University of Virginia to study natural products chemistry. And the, the degree I got was a bachelor's degree in chemistry with a specialization in biology. And I had to take literally a full uh, BS in um, chemistry. Um, and, and then with all the physics, all the physical chemistry, and I worked um in labs the entire time, learning physical chemistry. You loved it. Doing medical devices. I'll, I'll also ask Andy what kind of medical device he was making as well, because that's interesting. And I have no idea what forensic psychiatry is. Um, so, so that'll be fun. I took a couple of notes as we talked. At any rate, so I, I got that degree um, on June 10th, 1980. And, and this is all in our books, Plague, Plague of Corruption, and in our last book, Ending Plague, because this is, you know, Know, ending plague is about um, perspectives, and it's a it's a scholar's obligation in an age of corruption. Is Frank Rossetti's um, title of his book, and he writes the first half of the book, and then Kent and I, as we always do, Kent Tech and Lively, as a sixth grade science teacher and an attorney by training, would tape what I said and translate it into, um, and, and actually transcribe it into a legal document. So it was a legal declaration. So I wasn't detained in 2011. I was arrested. I was held without my civil rights. I was held without ever having a, a hearing. I was taken from my home on, on November 18th. My, my home surrounded an awful lot like... Um, President Trump, or as we wrote in Plague of Corruption, Roger Stone, um, and and now we see people like um, Simone, Doctor Simone Gold. So um, um, that I'll, I'll go back to the training and come back to that um, because it it I, you can see how once we're talking about these perspectives, we see how what's happening in COVID. Anybody who attempts to seek the truth, exactly like you said, you redefine. Well, you can't get a perspective as you and I chatted about a, a lot in in Virginia Beach unless you understand a person's background, and that's why this is you know quite fun and, and entertaining to. I'm enjoying it today because I'm learning a lot. And as you know, I take notes, you know, well, I was arrested a week after they attempted to kill me and surrounded my house. And I was able to escape on the boat. And that's the, that was November 9th, 2011. And that was, um, that was, um, what, 10 days before I was arrested and my house surrounded again. And, and that's the day you know, I surely, um, yet God has a sense of humor would have died because, because that was get out of here, you know, the, <laughs> and get out of here quick. Every alarm bell, God send you, a, uh, I have a motorboat in the back, God, here, God send it, get on it. They can't take you off the water. And we'll try to figure this out because we, we had no idea what was happening. And in fact, that's why Plague of Corruption started with November 9th. And plague started with November 18th. 
2011. Because Kent Heck and Lively, when I got out of jail, and, and I'll backtrack to my education and training then. Um, so when I got out of jail, it, um, uh, let's see, <laughs> um, November 22nd, held five days without a hearing, without seeing a lawyer, without a judge, you can't do that. You know, that's all my rights tonight. I've, there was no warrant. There never was in, in pandemic. You see that. You see our, my lawyer, David Folan, of more than a decade, who we tried, we took, and, and um, Travis Middleton say that in the movie. You know, here's the piece of paper. And I'm sitting back in Ventura today. And, and they murdered my husband um, uh, December 1st of last year. And when I got out of jail, November 22nd, they said, do it again. That is tell the truth. And while I was in there, it's sign a confession, you know, sign this apology that said you made a mistake um, in the XMRVs and we'll get back to them um, in the XMRVs and you'll spend the rest of your life doing honest research. And I said, no, I spent all of my life doing honest research and I won't sell out the patients because we know exactly what the XMRVs are. They're mouse, monkey and manufactured viruses, infectious molecular clones that they're injecting into cell lines that are manufacturing plants and they're manufacturing dozens of viruses and injecting them into people that never were in nature. And isn't that COVID? You know, so back to the education. So I worked from June 10th. I couldn't get into medical school um, for a number of reasons that we describe in Ending Plague. I think I asked too many questions. <laughs> so when you see Frank Rossetti's perspective, you know, he hired me June 10th, 19, I mean, June 6, 1983. But I started in fermentation chemistry as a technician as with an undergraduate degree. I'm a lab technician. And I started there at Fort Detrick in fermentation chemistry. My job was fermentation, like you would, you know, take sugar and, and make wine from the grapes or alcohol or beers or it's fermentation chemistry. And what I was fermenting, was um, well, I was growing a, a cell line called Namalva. And it was a human cell line um, that produced alpha interferon. So I, when I was at the University of Virginia and, and on March 31st, um, 1980, um, that was the day before my birthday in 1980, the cover of Time magazine was um, interferon. The big if, and I've got that in, in books and in slides, as you know, in papers. And so what, what we learned, and, and, and so I, I went home to Northern Virginia. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area after my parents got a divorce. That's why I was living with my mom's grandfather uh, at 417 Constitution Avenue Northeast in 1968, right in the middle of the riots right in the middle of murdering Bobby Kennedy, murdering Martin Luther King. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting on the floor as firebombs are going over my grandfather's row house. That's why I told you the address. Go look, go look at a picture as, as, as we're in the middle of the same kind of war. And I'm like, granddaddy. Yeah, we are right now. Why, why are they killing right. the, a, a, a man of God, a pastor? Why are they killing and he said, because 
you know, and he said, I don't know. Yeah. He said, there, there's no reason to, to kill a pastor who disagrees with you. So, exactly. so you see, exactly. I do, uh, Judy, I don't yeah. want to interrupt, but I do know that um, um, Dr. Andy, Andy, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that Dr. Andy has a slot, has a few slot, slides he wanted to share in the oh, beginning. Sure. So is it okay yeah. if you go to I'll just, Andy? I'll just really quickly finish. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So I, I fermented interferon. I made biological response modifiers. That's what I do. I got fired for that job when I was told to grow the virus, um, HTLV-1, which was the first human disease-causing retrovirus, um, isolated first by Bernie Poise and Frank Rossetti. Mm -hmm. I was told to grow it in an open-air centrifuge with a lot of 20-year-old women my age, several of whom were pregnant, in an open-air centrifuge in a large lab in Fort Detrick. And we refused because those women, you could aerosolize that virus and put them at risk. So, and, and I lost that job. I was riffed. I wasn't fired right. when Ronald Reagan came in with a reduction in force. And this is important to, to, to say because people don't understand how science is done. And this is how, you know, we're hired guns. We, we became contractors, no longer principal investigators with a voice. People who had to do what they told you to do or you'd lose your job. Mm -hmm. And this was very important. So I lost that job. We wrote letters to the Washington Post saying mm -hmm. this is the first human disease causing retrovirus. We know nothing about them, okay. you know, oh, but it causes a deadly cancer. We know nothing. We can't grow this up without putting some safety things in place. And, and that's all in this book. So I'll let people read it. So yeah. I started working for Frank Rossetti um, June 6, 1983. He was in the biological response modifiers program. And then in there, and he describes in great detail the isolation of LAV, lymphadenopathy virus. Um, it's not HIV. It's lymphadenopathy. And I didn't realize until I sat with Mickey Willis and, and in, in 2019, and he said, my brother died his AZT. And I said, don't you mean AIDS? And he's like, no, Judy. <laughs> I mean, and I said, oh, no, I made those drugs. I helped him. That's what I do is I develop drugs and use natural products to protect the rest of the immune system with things like type one interferon and to protect the innate immune system. And even if there is a virus, you know, my PhD thesis in defended November 14, 1991, said at the molecular level, at the innate immune system, if you protect protect it, eat clean food, eat clean health, you will never get AIDS because AIDS is acquired immune dysfunction or deficiency. And cancer is an acquired immune dysfunction or deficiency. As I mentioned, when you take in asbestos or other things, there are many environmental causes of diseases. Mm -hmm. And though those people had evidence of that infection, they would not get the disease unless a number of other things fell. That's why I mentioned mesothelioma and asbestos. So my, my grandfather didn't die because he smoked cigarettes and it was his fault. You know, it may have been other environmental poisons, which he wasn't protected from. So, you know, long story short, I get my PhD showing the innate biology you know, and, and Magic Johnson had to be a hero at that time 
because everybody was dropping dead from AIDS and the lie of Tony Fauci mm -hmm. was it came from HIV and the data said it never did. And right. so Frank Rossetti and I were there. It's not that we didn't isolate LAV, but LAV did not cause AIDS. That's lymphadenopathy virus. And the disease was called GRID, gay related immune deficiency. Mm -hmm. and, and so this is why I mentioned mm -hmm. that I'll, I'll finish with that. So mm -hmm. Changing definitions. So changing definitions is what we're doing now. And we've been doing it since the 1980s. So I started as an entry level technician and my work after the PhD, uh, I went to do a molecular virology postdoc. What did that mean? I went to make infectious molecular clones, synthetic viruses, learn how to do it in a lab. Learn how to make a synthetic virus in a lab. Okay. And, and, let, and I did that. Let's and take a look. So that's that. I, I want you and Andy to have conversation about also his slides. So Andy, okay. um, go ahead. Go ahead with your slides. Okay. He's got control. All right. Well, I okay. thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, Judy, that was, uh, you gave so much information there. And you, you certainly did mention some things about viruses uh, existing and causing diseases. And so I just, let me start off by just expressing my gratitude for being willing to come and have this discussion. And, uh, and I really appreciate the collegiality that uh, you display and represent. And also, I, I want to express my sincere gratitude for all of the important work that you've done in your career, being a government whistleblower, helping to spread truth on very dangerous things that the government is doing against us. And that's really why we're here mm -hmm. trying to, you know, educate people so that they can continue to be free and protect themselves against misdirection and tyranny. Mm -hmm. right. So in the interest of having um, the highest quality discussion that we could have, I wanted to just um, go through a few slides that sort of help frame how we can talk about these uh, you know, subjects in virology that we may have some points of contention about and keep it uh, logical and scientific uh, to the utmost degree. So just to review, and this uh, you know, isn't really for you, Judy, this is really for the audience out there, but it will uh, you know, help uh, remind us of how to think about these scientific uh, problems constructively. So the scientific method is, essentially a way to observe a phenomenon in nature, like people getting sick, for example, and then doing a certain type of experimental procedure to determine a cause and effect relationship. And so it's a, a logical, systematic way to answer these questions. And you start off by making observations, like you see people get sick, and then you might say, oh, well, they're all coughing and have trouble breathing, so this must be something in their respiratory system, and then you come up with ideas about what could be the causative agent. And then you can use the scientific method once you have a candidate causative agent, and that's, by the way, called the independent variable. And it's what causes the effect or the natural phenomenon, which is called the dependent variable. So that would be like, you know, whether uh, an animal or human gets sick, and the independent variable would be the cause 
of the illness that you were trying to determine. So you might think it's a virus, you might think it's an environmental factor like asbestos and mesothelioma, uh, or many, many other potential hypotheses. And then what you can do is you have to have the independent variable by itself in the experiment so that you can test whether that is the cause of the effect. And then you have to do a control experiment where you, you don't have that independent variable to make sure that there's not something else or the experimental procedure itself that's producing the result, and then you would misinterpret it. Now, one of the principles about the scientific method is that it was devised to look at natural phenomena. And thus, when you're designing experiments, you want to use natural phenomenon as your observation. So that what that means is the situation is not manipulated or controlled by the investigator, and it's not natural if the uh, situation has been manipulated or initiated by the investigator. So for example, doing in vitro experiments where you take materials out of an organism and then put them in a petri dish in a laboratory or a tissue flask or some other type of um, you know lab device, that's not, that's a manipulated and controlled experiment. It's not what happens in nature, right? Right, right. Now, I want to also give the definition of pseudoscience because it relates directly to the scientific method. And this is when you have claims, beliefs, or practices that are claimed to be discovered as a result of the scientific method, but actually the scientific method was not employed properly. So that's pseudoscience, a very important term. Now, right in line with the scientific method comes logic fallacies, and these were originally talked about by Aristotle, um, and there's ancient texts that you can look at about this, and essentially it's using a trick or an illusion or a false reasoning to try and win an argument uh, by avoiding actually arguing the, the direct points that you're discussing. And there are several examples of logic fallacies that uh, both Judy and I have been subject to when we've been discussing this with other people, uh, such as ad hominem, you know, and I gave some examples, oh, he's controlled opposition, he just wants to make money from you, or he's a Freemason, all of these kind of things. And these things may, in fact, be true of a person, but if they're making a, you know, a valid point about a scientific opinion, it really doesn't matter even if they're, you know, a serial murderer, their point can still be valid. You may not want to have lunch with them to talk about it, but you should still pay attention to the argument. Uh, the second would be an appeal to authority. And so many people have said that I'm not a virologist. Some people even said I'm not even a doctor. <laughs> But of course, you could also use this to justify opinions, you know, well, it must be true because the C CDC director reported it, or a hundred years of medical experts couldn't be wrong when we find that throughout history, uh, the scientists and experts were often wrong and proven so over time, you know, when there were paradigm shifts. Um, you have the straw man fallacy, which is a, a very common one, and this is what I was faced with when I testified on the Corona Committee. So if uh, viruses aren't real, how do you explain herpes or how do you explain rabies? And, you know, it's a separate question uh, because if I can explain it, it doesn't mean that viruses cause it. 
Otherwise, I could easily make the claim that, you know, Martians caused the disease or garden gnomes caused the disease and you couldn't, uh, you know, have an alternate explanation, so it must be true. And then lastly, the burden of proof fallacy, which is related. And this goes with whoever makes a claim about something has the burden of proof. So if you have a scientific theory like germ theory, for example, then it's your responsibility to provide the evidence. And I can refuse, refute the evidence because any theory, according to the philosophy of silence, has to be falsifiable. So you have to be able to make an argument against it, and then you can do an experiment to disprove it. And if you're unable to disprove it, then it stands. And that's really how science moves forward. Mm -hmm. And then I want to talk about the, one of the main logic fallacy in the field of virology, which is called circular reasoning or sometimes begging the question. And it comes from the Latin term petitio principii. And essentially, this occurs when the premise of the argument is the same as the conclusion. So, you know, you, you state uh, what is true, then you do an experiment, and you end up at the same thing that you stated at the beginning. Another way to say that is an attempt to support a claim with a premise that itself restates or presupposes the claim. And I can give you two examples from common virology experiments that show this circular reasoning pattern. So the first one is the so-called virus isolation experiments where they do tissue cultures. And they start with the premise that there are viruses in the patient sample that they're using in the experiment. Um, in the case of you know, the fake COVID, it was lung fluid, but it could be any tissue depending on the disease. And the second premise is that viruses cause cytopathic effects. And that's when you see damage of the cells that are growing in a cell culture, they call that cytopathic effects. So you then take patient fluid, add it to a foreign cell culture with the typical recipe of additives. Then of course you observe the cytopathic effects and then you conclude the same thing as the premise that the CPE was caused by a virus and the virus was in the patient sample. So you essentially didn't discover anything you just did a, a set of procedures that led you back to your starting point. And of course, the same thing is true with the so-called in silico genome experiments. And I'm talking here about metagenomic sequencing. So when they first uh, sequence a quote, you know, viral genome, not when they repeat it millions of times. And here they start with a premise that once again, virus is present in the patient sample and that viruses have a genome of a certain length. Now, 30,000 is what they say is the length for coronaviruses. They may have different lengths for different classes of so-called viruses. But what they do then is they extract the RNA from the patient fluid, and of course, that doesn't tell you if that RNA is from a virus or not because you haven't actually shown a virus in that sample. You're just collecting all of the RNA from any source, you make a, a cDNA library, then you sequence all of those reads, and in the case of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, alleged virus, there was about 56 plus million reads uh, that they sequenced, and then they used a couple of different software programs to put those together by overlapping ends and into a approximately 30,000 base pair uh, computer-generated sequence, and they called that the genome of the virus, which essentially matched the st starting point of the experiment once again. So another way to, to 
describe this as a self-fulfilling prophecy. So here are some questions based on this, and you know, perhaps we, Judy might want to uh, address some of these uh, possibly, or uh, you know, either during today or at a later time, but essentially they sort of apply the circular reasoning to these experiments and ask how you could make this interpretation. And then I want to just highlight that uh, recently due to this uh, group of people who got together and we created and published a virus challenge, which is we're putting out there to the community of actually bench virologists asking them to validate their isolation and genome experiments by doing essentially having them uh, do the same experiment on the same samples independently and anonymous from each other and show that they get the same results. And that was really led by Tom Cowan, Mark Bailey, and Kevin Corbett. But as a result of our efforts there, uh, two mainstream scientists have recently changed their opinion about the existence of viruses. First, Dr. Cahill uh, saying that her impression is that SARS-CoV-2 and HIV do not exist. And then, of course, Mike Yadin, former vice president of Pfizer, saying that respiratory viruses, as described, don't exist at all. So I think this is, uh, you know, an excellent time when people are investigating matters at deeper levels. And, you know, for me personally, um, when I had this realization, of course, I had to face a lot of resistance and turmoil and self-doubt at first. I didn't even believe that my conclusions were correct. I needed to spend time, read article after article after article, trying to prove myself wrong. And then, of course, that's what really led me to get fired and be ostracized and rejected by all my colleagues, uh, peers, and friends. So this is a kind of a difficult path. But what I did find, uh, and I'll leave you with a message of hope, is that I developed a whole new cadre of friends, peers, and colleagues. And I developed a whole new career that just sort of materialized before my eyes and has led to a much, much more truthful, peaceful, virtuous, and uh, gratifying life experience. And so I appreciate having the opportunity to discuss that and, you know, watch everybody go through this kind of waking up process um, who's open to it. Thank you so much for that, Andy. I just want to say, because I, I uh, discovered you April 6, 2020, um, with David Icke, um, London Real. And I have been following you in your work and when you were on YouTube, and then I had to find you when you weren't on YouTube. But for me, as a layman, I'm just going to say, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase as a layman for me, what you just shared, what I think of isolation, the meaning of isolation meaning separating it from everything else and confining this virus, whatever we want to call it, but we separated it from everything else, however science would do that. And then you take it and you show that when you separate it in every animal, because you're not supposed to do these on tr human trials, even though we're going through human trials right now, but you're not supposed to experiment on humans. But um, so you say you take animals and you say, okay, I've, I isolated this and I'm going to try it on all these different animals. And if every one of those animals get gets ill in the same manner, when you did that, then you're like, oh, 
I've proved it. But from what I understand, I've gone to some of your lectures and Tom's lectures and, and it's, they're not isolating anything. They're throwing a bunch of stuff with snot or saliva or fluid from a sick person. They're throwing a bunch of stuff with it and including monkey kidney cells, that sticks out in my brain. And then saying that it causes this, this they discovered, they isolated a virus and it's causing this illness. And um, then, then I also heard, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that if they go through the exact same procedure with no saliva, with no fluid from a sick person, but do the exact same steps, they get the exact same results. Right. Am I, am I? Yeah, that's, that's been, um, that experiment has been uh, published one time in 1954 is done by um, Enders. And then it, it was, you know, not published in a peer review journal, but published by Stefan Lanka uh, one year ago, the same experiment, because his collaborator in academia is afraid that if she tried to publish it, she would be fired. And so that's why it's published privately. And it's really unfortunate because of the censorship that we resort to that, you know, in the current climate, but that's the truth of the matter. Okay. I just wanted to kind of put it out to the audience in layman's term and make sure I was, I was translating it correctly in layman's terms. Yeah, you got it, Caroline. Okay. All right. What, what is the Ender's experiment for your audience? Yeah, that, well, this is the essentially the first published um, time that this tissue culture isolation procedure of what? Uh, was published. Of what? It was of the measles. Uh, it was taking samples from measles patients. And, uh, and, okay. So, <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> um, so, um, gee, that I, ge I guess I introduced correctly in, in the um, thing because where everything that you just said, I can't write fast enough or look at those slides fast enough, but I'll show you where words matter. So to say viruses don't exist. And, and, and so Professor Cahill said, the, the exact right words. She said, SARS-CoV-2 and HIV do not exist. Yeah, neither of those two viruses exist in nature. Doesn't mean they aren't viruses. They're, they're, um, SARS-CoV-2 is not a coronavirus. It's a pararetrovirus that was engineered in the laboratory, and it's not Vero monkey kidney cells, um, uh, Caroline. It's a Vero monkey kidney cell line. Okay, what does that mean? That, and this is why I mentioned that open air centrifuge, because in fact, um, and that's why I mentioned, you know, Frank Rossetti and the isolation of. Um, of HTLV1. So human T cell leukemia virus one, and, and we'll get to causing disease because, you know, Judy, everything- Judy, may I just interrupt for one second? I just want to, um, to have clarity because you, first you, you just said that, I think you said that SARS-CoV-2 and HIV don't exist in nature. No, they're synthetic was, viruses, right. weaponized so in a lab. If I, if I may, I was only, 
I'm only talk about viruses existing in nature because that's the, the definition of viruses according to Harvey Lodish. Could we use a different word to describe something that's man-made? Like no, a, a they're viruses. They're, well, that's you, are I you saying your definition so of a virus includes man-made entities? Because that's not what I was talking about in my definition. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Well, because you see, here's where you're where you're using in incomplete terms. You cannot say a virus when, and that's why I asked you about the Ender experiment to be clear. We have to be really clear about our words, um, and and this is what we we actually agree. You know, and that's why I explained my PhD. We are not our viruses. We are not our viruses. Um, we, and, and our viruses, HIV did not cause AIDS. That's what I proved. And, and, and I'm gonna go back to that first isolation. We have to think of classes of virus. A measles virus is not a retrovirus. Therefore, what you described in your CPE, um, in fact, retroviruses, and my work was all about viral latency and the immune control of expression of a sequence and a genome, because a, a provirus and a sequence is not a virus. And that's why PCR can't ever be used to test. So see, we're agreeing on this. And in nothing, in no paper that we ever wrote, and I've isolated viruses um, from animals, humans, straight as you just said, straight from the natural material, from the human cell without manipulation, but you have to grow a virus. So, so I'm only talking about retroviruses and coronaviruses because they're what we call enveloped viruses. And that's where you package, looking at my desk, you package in an envelope the viral sequence in order to protect it from degradation from, uh, from your immune system, gobbling it up and presenting it to the adaptive immune response and saying, oh, that's just one of those things. Here's the piece of that. My immune system has endogenous viruses that say, no, that's not me, that's another animal, that's another species, that's this virus. Dr. Bhakti um, talked about, and Dr. Professor Cahill talk about, talk about evolution of viruses. These sequences in these microorganisms, bacteriophage are, are viruses that infect bacteria. Plants have viruses. They regulate expression of different genes. They're, they're part of our makeup. They're part, we, 8% of our genome isn't, you know, our DNA. So I'm, I'm not a virologist. I'm a molecular biologist and biochemist. And that's why I went through my training. My PhD is in biochemistry and molecular biology. And so my work said HIV didn't cause AIDS. And why did that matter for Magic Johnson in Plandemic? 
because number one, HIV was never lymphadenopathy virus. That was the virus that, that Luc Montagnier isolated from the man with AIDS. And Andy's exactly right. So he mentioned herpes. You know, the herpes viruses are not diseases. So we have a tendency to say, I have EBV as if EBV is the disease. No, everybody, essentially 99% of America has the sequence of, or partial sequence, and this is exactly what Andy's saying, of EBV in their genome. Their immune system saw it, made it either latent, so it's never expressed, and that was, that was my work that if you don't express the wrong virus or the wrong piece of DNA or RNA in the wrong tissue, not according to God, then, then you know, is it a causative agent? And, and it really, it really, really matters because not once except, you know, so Luc Montagnier isolated LAV. I isolated the same virus from the same man with AIDS. Luc Montagnier never, and that was 1982. I, 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 I start, that's why I mentioned when I started working with Frank Rossetti. Because mm -hmm. Frank Rossetti and Bernie Poise, and it's detailed in this book, did everything that, um, that Andy just said in the scientific method. They did not manipulate the human tissue. They grew, they literally took a man and his name was Frank Robinson and he was a black man. And at the time, this adult T cell leukemia was endemic in Japan and parts of Brazil. Why do I say endemic? It meant, you know, they were, they were getting it over there in a certain geographical um, location. And that's why I mentioned the, the, the mesothelioma and, and tobacco and my grandfather. To cigarette smoking does not cause cancer. What is the definition of cause? The definition of cause is every human being with evidence of infection has to have the disease. And, and, and again, I do not believe in germ theory and never have, and neither does Frank Rossetti. And, and, and there's no, it's not one or the other. It's not terrain or germ. And, and in fact, all of our work, and that's why I mentioned my PhD thesis, 12 years and looking at the individuals with evidence of infection and looking at the molecular chemistry of why they have disease. And so glyphosate and Stephanie Senefis and I have been working for 10 years. So the words cause the disease were never uttered by Luc Montagnier, he published the paper on the isolation, exactly what Andy said, from a man with disease, uncultured, untrained, evidence of infection. And, and it was not just that man. There was Those were the people getting AIDS. We had them in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. And, and they had many, many, many opportunistic infections. And Luc Montagnier was maligned. He was kicked out. He didn't get that, he didn't get that Nobel Prize until 2000. 2008. 
And, and he got it for the isolation of the virus, not an association with the disease. And the association with the disease is the word we use. And when they put it, you know, it was them, it was the Fauci's, it was the scientism, it was the cult, you know, that said it caused AIDS. It was the media, it was, it was the interpretation of data, which never were what the data said. And the way so-called science has manipulated that. And that's why I mentioned growing that in an open air centrifuge. And that's why our books about the truth about the mask. You don't wear masks when you're isolating a virus. I sat in the face of the French Canadian Airlines tour, the same person. This is how you reproduce a finding. You got it from the same people at the same time, from the same, from more than one body fluid. And as Andy just said, you don't manipulate the tissue, but but of a, a, a retrovirus. And we're not, see, we can't just keep talking about viruses. There are many, 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 many families of viruses, like I just mentioned, a bacteriophage. You know, there's, I, you know, whole books. The only thing I've spent my life looking at are the enveloped viruses. Why? Because they're packaged in that envelope and, and they evade the immune system, but because we'll degrade RNA or DNA that is not from a human. So what is an envelope virus? It's, it's the nucleic acid that's called the provirus. It's called, it's the start to the finish, the start signal, the regulation, the finish, the polya. It's the sequence that turns into a virus. We are DNA sequences. We are 46 chromosomes. And those chromosomes turn into a human being. But our DNA sequence is not a human being. And as you said, your daughter with multiple sclerosis, multiple sclerosis is the expression of one of our genes in the wrong tissue at the wrong time. That gene is called syncytin. It, the protein, the gene is called HERV-W, human endogenous retrovirus W. And we've been lied to about those human endogenous retroviruses and how viruses are endogenized. No, they're not. We don't evolve from monkeys. We're given by God everything we need. And 97%, so molecular biologists, the central dogma, I hate the word, of molecular biology is you go from DNA to RNA to protein. Well, when the genome was sequenced in 2004, well, um, in 2004, we realized 97% of our messenger RNA, that what is transcribed, what is written from our DNA is regulatory. Only 3% of our DNA is transcribed into proteins. And those proteins are post-translationally modified in order to match the environment so the signals given by God hit the nucleus according to the environment. 
like just various proteins. I don't want to, I, I kind of want to jump in because we're, as Del would say, we're getting in the weeds. And I, well, I'm just, but if we don't okay. get in the weeds, okay. if we don't understand what I a seed understand. is. I understand. What I want to piggyback on is what you said. Much of what you just said, you are in agreement with Andy, even yeah. on the science. But um, but it's not that viruses don't exist. Okay. And, and just because, so what are the XMRBs that we isolated from humans with disease? They were created in laboratories, mm -hmm. in manufactured cell lines that don't grow according to God. SARS-CoV-2 is a monkey virus that is made in a continuously growing cell line like you grow a stock mm -hmm. of, of sourdough bread or yogurt. Right. You know, that's so like one, of the, things that, oh, one of the things I do want to interject. I've never heard Andy say um, viruses don't exist. What I've heard Andy say and his colleagues say that the papers they have studied do not show that a virus has been isolated. That is what I hear. Tell but, me but you wrong. have to say a retrovirus or a specific okay. And when you say isolated, you have to say from humans with disease. SARS-CoV-2. Here's what here's what Professor Cahill said. SARS-CoV-2 and HIV do not exist in nature, but they're synthetic viruses. They're XMRVs. They're xenotropic, which means they're foreign, and they're mouse monkey manufactured viruses. And we've generated those in cell lines. You must grow a retrovirus in order to study it. It has to grow in a living cell. It's an obligate parasite. That means it uses, it's a provirus that sits in our DNA. And when our cell divides, the virus divides. It, you know, if it uses reverse transcriptase, if it if it uses activation and immune activation and disrupts the latency, all vaccines question. cause yeah dormancy. The question, the question is: so, mm -hmm. what I've heard, what I understand Andy's question to be mm -hmm. is then how? Because words do matter. So, how do we distinguish? The, vi the virus of the of the papers that Andy has studied and colleagues of his has studied that say these particular viruses have not been truly isolated. How do we distinguish? What words should we use? To you have to say isolated from the cell line according to the virus. SARS-CoV-2 is not even a coronavirus. It's a pararetrovirus. They made it in a monkey cell line. It, it spits virus out all day long. They injected that monkey cell line in dozens of vaccines into humans since 1962. They've been injecting and still those monkey viruses only cause diseases in some people. And it wasn't the entire virus. And those people had to have other environmental stimuli and what we call opportunistic infection. People didn't in, who died of AIDS. AIDS is acquired immune deficiency. Acquired. You got it from nature. HIV never was AIDS. And I proved that in my PhD. Didn't mean the virus didn't exist. Yeah, they were making it in the lab. Mm -hmm. 
And they've been injecting these things into humans. So you went all the way back to vaccine court. There was one other thing that happens in vaccine court. If you could make a vaccine safer and you failed to do so, you were liable. What did our 2009 paper in science show you? The isolation of XMRVs, several of them, dozens of them, from people with multiple sclerosis, myalgic encephalomyelitis. Oh, that's, um, you know, inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. Mm -hmm. But the virus was never causative, and our paper didn't say that. All we showed you was that in people, with that infection, with evidence of that infection, um, if the inflammatory signature, the cytokine storm, if the virus was turned on and not dormant, that was my work in HIV. Keep it latent and Magic Johnson will never get AIDS. So what did Magic, he had to be a hero because everybody was dropping like flies. He had to say, you know what? This isn't working very well. And this is what Mickey Willis taught me in 2019. He said, my brother died of AZT. And I said, don't you mean AIDS? So, So see, the problem is it's not that they don't exist. It's that they don't cause the disease unless you inject them into an immune compromised person. So the last thing that had to happen in 2009 in that vaccine court, and that's why we wrote that chapter in our book all about the corruption. They were following the injury they were created. So SARS-CoV-2 and HIV are both XMRVs, synthetic monkey, mouse, or manufactured retroviruses. They have the HIVs part of the spike protein. They have that syncytiogenic protein that our own human gamma retrovirus W, that doesn't make an infectious virus. It only makes a piece. And that piece is to show your immune system what's self and what's non-self, what's me and what's not me. So the autoimmune, the autoinflammatory, the diseases and cancers associated with viruses aren't, you know, it's just like you're associated with cigarette smoking, but cigarette, you cannot cause a disease unless every person with evidence of infection has the disease. And this was the play corruption in, in COVID and in SARS-CoV-2, they just took it to the end of the thing. They said, Oh, here's the monkey virus. It causes disease. Um, no, it doesn't. They didn't do what we did in our 2009 paper with the XMRVs. They didn't do what Luke did with LAV. Judy, Judy, Absolutely. let me jump in here because I, I want I I love that you the things that you say that you agree on with um, Andy because that's important and that's kind of I wanted to end this show with something that you all agree on and we'll start with Andy okay so Andy um from what Judy you know you know what is it that you feel that you both agree on here to be honest I'm not really sure what we even just discussed because we didn't really agree on the ground rules and we have different definitions uh, I wasn't 
meaning to talk about anything not not in nature because science only studies natural phenomenon. If there's man-made phenomenon, that's technology, engineering, and other things. That's um, just not true because the natural phenomenon uh, uh, is the viruses. Wait, wait a second, Judy, please. No, but we're not, but I'm not getting to say. Science is the natural phenomenon are the families of viruses we isolated from humans. How they got into humans, nobody knows. But so, Judy, where's the paper where you took a virus directly from a human without a cell culture and purified it and showed what it's made of? Is that published somewhere? Which virus did you do that with? We made, we, yeah, the, the HTLV-1 was isolated from a human with ATL. That's a cancer, adult T-cell leukemia. That's Frank Robinson. That leukemia was growing in his body. We took so, those cells. So where can I see? Where can I see the published paper with a picture of just viral particles that have been taken out of a human directly? It's it's not, all not in Frank Rossetti's papers. It's all in our theses. So which, which paper from Frank Rossetti? It, it, can you send it to me so I can see because. I've looked at, you know, first of all, you said already that HIV uh, didn't exist earlier. No, LAV was I, not HIV. No, because you're not listening to me. LAV was not HIV. He is listening. Judy. No, he's not. He is. He, he is, is listening. He's asking you a question and you're not letting him finish. Please, sweetie. Yeah, he is listening. He's oh. listening. Please let him finish asking the question. Go ahead, Andy, ask the question. Well, you know, I'm not sure how productive it's going to be, but, you know, let me just give a, a quote um, uh, from Luc Montagnier when he was asked about why it's important to purify viruses. And that's a much better word than isolate because there's mm -hmm. a different meaning for isolate in these papers, right? He mm -hmm. said you purify a virus to show that it's real. And I've looked at hundreds of papers claiming to show the discovery of a virus. I've never seen one. And I'm not talking about bacteriophages, only viruses that are alleged to cause disease. That's the definition I'm working for, that they're parasites that are replication competent. They have genetic material in some kind of protein shell or other type of shell. Not a protein and shell, so, it's a bilayer. Yeah. Not a protein Whatever the material is, they never can say because they've never actually had one where they could characterize it and say what it's made of by taking the material itself, well, which means they've never actually discovered one, which means it doesn't exist. And if you have a paper that shows definitive proof that doesn't defy the scientific method, so it has an independent variable, a control, done properly, it doesn't make any circular arguments, and then I will be happy to come out publicly and say this virus exists, here's the paper Dr. Mikovits showed me. But mm -hmm. if you give me that paper and it's the same procedure that I've you know, showed a hundred times doesn't prove a virus, are you willing to come out and say that you were wrong? Um, yeah, I can, I can show you the papers, and, and you're still using your own circular arguments. You cannot say viruses don't exist. A virus is not RNA, DNA, and a protein. That's not a virus. A virus is, a, and, and I'm talking about only retroviruses, because that's my whole work. 
retrovirus, because that's the family of envelope viruses. That's a lipid bilayer. When they're a human virus, packaging the D, the provirus, packaging the, the blueprint to make the virus, and then replicating that virus from the cells in which it is an obligate parasite. Your um, retroviruses and coronavirus and, 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 and any envelope virus, they're not the same as a measles virus because a measles virus is, is just a strand, the a negative strand RNA there. That's just a piece of DNA. And that's a very different or RNA. Sorry. Measles virus is just a piece of RNA. And that's a very different family of viruses. So you get in trouble when you mix this. I want to jump in here because you say, and I've heard you say many times, Judy, mm-hmm. words are important. Mm-hmm. Words are important. And what you you and you paraphrase Andy, you're not paraphrasing him correctly. But I'm not is, paraphrasing no, 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 him. Wait, let me finish what I'm saying. Right. Andy is not saying viruses don't exist. That yes. is not what Andy, no, he's not. No, that Caroline, it not. is that is what I'm saying. That Caroline. is what he said. Okay. Caroline, I'm I'm saying I'm saying okay. viruses. Wait, I'm saying okay. viruses that are alleged to cause disease. So not bacteriophages, not giant viruses and sea algae but the ones alleged to cause disease, that there's no evidence that any of them exist, not one. Okay. What so, I, what that, I, that I, is exactly I, what I'm saying. I thought, that is I, how I understand it, it, understand that you, you've read hundreds of papers, hundreds of scientific papers that you know how to read. And all of those papers did not show the purification. I'll use the word purification. Well, they, they didn't uh, show the existence of a new entity. Right. They showed they showed logic fallacy. They didn't follow the scientific merit method, and they were purely circular and inferential. Right. They didn't actually establish that you went into a jungle, pulled out a jaguar. Here's a jaguar. It exists. Right. That that simple experiment has never been done. Exactly. And I I understand. So what the point I was trying to make to Judy though is that you're saying if someone gives you a paper, now you've been through hundreds, but if someone finally yes, hands course. you a paper that actually shows what you're looking, you know, shows not the circular argument, meaning okay, this exists at the beginning and so it exists at the end of the paper. I understand exactly what you're saying about the circular argument. You have not come across a paper without that circular argument. And so you're asking Judy if she can supply you with a paper. So you are open to the fact that Absolutely. A, a paper that you have not read will show you that a virus exists. So that's Caroline, what I, I just want to know the truth. If, yes. if the truth is that viruses are real, I want to know that. Yes. Um, I just haven't found any evidence of that so far. And I've, far. I've been searching for two years pretty exhaustively. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm sorry, I've been purifying viruses and associating them with disease for 40 years. Okay. Yeah, they exist, and we've got thousands oh, of references. Judy, when I uh, searched you on PubMed, there were no publications that came up with purified viruses. <laughs> yeah, because they jailed me, retracted the studies, made all the data go away, and Tony Fauci created a new reality. Okay, so to make this me on PubMed, it's clear fraud. Why do you think I sat in jail and lost right. every penny I ever made? Okay, so that we couldn't have this conversation, and, and you had 
have you see the data of our actual paper before some papers, papers, before okay. the journal science hacked okay. them up and, and realized. Okay, okay. so what I, I'm saying, I don't know, Judy, if you have the original papers that you can email to Andy to- You know, I'm, I'm, he's not my judge and my jury. No, 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 no. It's not the about- book. It's not the about- The books time. are all here. Okay. The books are all here. And the yeah. papers are referenced in the okay. book. And I've got 600 pages of our books of okay. the cow viruses and the monkey viruses and the pig viruses. Okay. And how they've been injected into humans, causing okay. disease for four decades. And they called them vaccines. This is the problem. When you make a statement, viruses don't exist and they're injecting them into vulnerable humans every single day just because oh you said oh it can't be a natural virus we all know SARS-CoV-2 was made in a lab they published it in 2004 okay my work said they don't cause disease that's what my entire okay. body of work does not that they don't exist but that if you keep your innate immune system healthy, it doesn't matter whether they're mouse manufactured or monkey, or even you got the virus. That virus, adult T-cell leukemia virus, HTLV-1, there are many, many variants of HTLV according to their sequence. Oh, the, the, the deadly sequence is, is ATL, HTLV-1, only that variant causes a, a deadly adult T-cell leukemia. That was ice purified and isolated according with no circular by Bernie Poise and Frank Rossetti in 1980, okay. published with every piece of data in it. Okay, I don't want us to get off the rails here because I want I want to say Andy was not trying to be your judge. Not off no. the rails. No, I'm no. just saying if you read the no, paper. No, no, I'm not saying you're going off the rails with what you're saying now, but it's it's kind of it is getting away from the main the main disagreement, the main disagreement that you guys have, which is okay. It's okay that at the, and I didn't think, honestly, I never thought at the end of this conversation you would both agree. Okay. I do believe you guys have a lot in common. I do believe that you're both doing your your best for your your grandchildren and your children and future generations for humanity. I believe in my heart and soul. I know you both are good, have good intentions for humanity. I know that. And at the end of the day, you guys may never agree. And that uh, on this on this topic right here, you guys may never agree. And that is okay. You don't no, it's actually to... not. Because if you say viruses don't exist, and Tony Fauci and company are making synthetic viruses, I hear what you're saying there, but that can get into humans. I, honestly, Andy, you didn't help your case because I don't hear Andy saying viruses don't exist. I hear, wait, this is what I hear Andy saying. I hear Andy saying, show me the paper that's not circular. That is what I hear Andy saying. No, he said viruses don't exist. He said herpes viruses don't exist. But herpes, the disease, is not the virus. So he's making a non sequitur that is not his answer. Do viruses exist is not the same question as can they be associated or causative for disease. That's not the same question. 
Okay. okay. And when you say they don't exist, and we know they exist, and we know if you inject a monkey virus in a human, it can cause disease, auto-inflammatory, autoimmune, because your immune system says that's not safe. That's not, and when you inject health. it, you transfect it. Yes. When you inject it, that's not an infection. That's a transfection. Okay, but and I think Judy, is, you missed what I was trying to say. And I like, and I always, from the day one I started my show, I like to keep things very simple. And you missed what I'm trying to say. I'm not hearing Andy say there aren't any viruses. What I hear Andy saying, show me the paper that is not circular. That is what I hear. And that's very simple to me. And, and it's not when he when he says that, he's not trying to be anybody's judge or jury. He's just, and, and Andy's not alone. I know Andy's at the top of the heap, but Andy's not alone. There is a lot of doctors and scientists underneath him with that same, and, and people changing their mind after they look into it more closely, like uh, Dr. Yeadon and Dr. Cahill. What I'm saying is Andy did. is just wanting to see the paper and, and he will be the first to admit, ah, here's the paper, here, I was wrong. There is one that, there is a paper that proves it. So that is, so again, again, I said, I wanted to keep this to a layman's level and I'm the layman here, okay? I am the layman, no letters after my name. And I, I love and appreciate you both equally, I do. And, and the whole point of my show is to show people you don't have to agree to love and respect, or at least respect for me, it's always love, love and respect each other. He and I, I can tell what, what Andy said. He has a great deal of respect for you, Judy. He does. And and I, uh, I was just hope. I just wanted you guys. And you did say that you know you, there was some agreement in there, you know. And I think you guys on the big picture. You guys totally agree. The big picture is that the globalists are trying, we're living right now through um, worldwide genocide. And I, uh, you both agree on that. And what, what breaks my heart is they're, they're um, aiming a bioweapon at six months old. You know, children in this, I think this is the only country, I could be wrong, but I think you United States is the only country aiming a bioweapon at six months old, it, that has to stop. So that's that's the big picture, and that's what we really the the stuff the, the stuff we don't agree on. To me, I know you're thinking it's really important, but it's all. But if if we're at each other's throats, that is what the globalists want. They want us bickering over the minutiae. They want somebody to say viruses don't exist because they've been synthesizing them, injecting them into humans. If you inject them, that's not an infection and they'll never cause disease unless you inject them. So for four decades, they've been injecting monkey viruses, cow viruses, other human beings, genomic viruses. 8% of our genome are viruses, whether complete and they're not infectious and transmissible for the most part. If you have a monkey virus and you inject it into somebody, not according to the natural route of exposure. Right. 
then you will bypass your God-given innate immune response. So the globalists want us all to sit here and say viruses don't exist and 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 you never oh, no, and, I, I know Mike Eden is right in how he said the word okay. about whether it's measles virus, you know, but you cannot take MMR measles, mumps, and rubella blueprints, mm -hmm. put them in a synthetic virus called a lipid nanoparticle, an envelope, and inject them into a human being, bypassing their innate immune response. You can't do it. But that's what every vaccine is, a synthetic virus. So this argument isn't an argument that no, matters. We agree. We and all this is what Frank Rossetti and Luke Montagnier proved okay. not that they didn't and me not that that we didn't isolate them according to nature from people you cannot grow the virus unless it's in the human cell that produced it we we the human cells with the B cell cancers were spitting out we're spitting out the viruses. Did it, you know, does it mean it causes disease? Not if you keep it latent. That's why type one interferon. Our God has given us everything we need. It's not that we're making SARS-CoV-2, the bioweapon, SARS-CoV-2 never caused COVID-19. Okay. It, none of those experiments we're talking about, but it's not that it wasn't isolated. It's being grown in, in vats. Right. called before monkey kidney cells it's a monkey virus right and it's a we, and it's we agree so we know that we, but you and andy totally agree that so you think so we think that shot it's again viruses have to be exposed to your innate immune system according to nature Right. According to, they're all around us, as Dr. Bhakti and Dr. Cahill said. Right. But that SARS-CoV-2 and HIV uh, were weaponized. Mm -hmm. LAV was yeah. what Luke isolated according to methods. So we and agree. We, we agree that it's a bioweapon. All three of us agree it's a bioweapon. We agree. It's a virus. God has given us everything. Andy's a spiritual man. You're a Christian. I'm a spiritual woman. We all agree God has given us everything we need to stay healthy. So you don't inject another animal's viruses, whether it's human embryonic tissue or cell life. These, but so that's what they're doing yes. in every single vaccine since all liability was removed. Yes. When we isolated. But Dave Martin found out where liability truly wasn't removed. And correctly, I'm and, hoping the ICANN legal team, Dell Big Trees legal team, will hear this. I sent it to him last night, honestly. I said, Dell, did any, nobody's talking about the fact that these three things invalidate their their protection at least with the 1986 act it's for three reasons what was the most important that wasn't said if what? you could make a vaccine safer and you failed to do so, so. right that's so the four then, yeah. then you're liable for everything. Yes what did our XMRV work show Right. Oh, wait right. a minute. Right. You can't inject. You cannot use 
any cell line to grow the antigen for a vaccine. Right. You can't use bacteria. You can't use insects. You can't use the mRNA, right. DNA, or protein yes. from another animal. Okay. I, I, I think we, I totally think we are on agreement on 90% of, of this conversation, but it is, Andy does have to go. So I, I, you know, I'd love for you guys, if you want, you know, for us to have another conversation, it's up to you guys. I know you're both extremely busy, but um, I really think on the big picture, the most important thing, and we keep it, we keep focus on the big picture because if we don't, the globalists will eat us up. And I know that we are, I know the light has already won just from a spiritual nature. I know the light always wins over darkness. And I, I've been sharing, I always share a message of the light, love, and God, because even like I was listening to Mike Adams and, and, and I'm like, you guys can't, Mike Adams and, and, and all of the people that are speaking truth, I believe they're speaking truth, but they have to speak it in a way of higher vibration. We have won this. We don't want people to think we haven't won because that's what the globalists, the globalists are done. They're truly done. But a lot of people in the truth and freedom movement are looking at the 3D matrix and believing, oh, the, oh, what, what can I do? The globalists are going to kill us. You know, that's not the truth. And I, I want to talk to Mike Adams. You text him, say, Mike, stop giving the gloom and doom because yes, the information you're sharing is true, but stop sharing it with gloom and doom. No more gloom and doom. We have the victory. Whether you're spiritual like I am, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, doesn't matter what your religion is. God has already won. And we got this. We won. Okay. So I just want everybody that's on the truth and freedom side that is trying to, to stand off the globalists, keep back the globalists. Remember your vibration, everything is energy. Your vibration matters. I always call, I call Andy my Zen friend. He's always so Zen. <laughs> so that, even Judy, when you told me Andy got upset and I still haven't seen that video. When you told me Andy got upset, I'm like Andy? And he got upset. That's my Zen friend. He can't get upset. But anyway, it's I love this. I love this. We have to have more of this. I'm going to continue this series. And it's all good. At the end of the day, it's all good. We, God has already won. You're a Christian. You read the end of the Bible, the book. You, you know the ending of the story. God has already won. Okay? So it's all good. It really is. Car Thank you. Caroline, you know, there's no two people ever agree on everything. And that's why marriage can be so difficult. But <laughs> hey, I, that's why I'm not I married. Applaud, <laughs> I applaud Judy for all the work. And, you know, I mean, I know that we would both be happy to get up on the same stage anytime and give our message of hope and freedom for the future. And that is what's most important. And we can always, you know, have differences and we can work them out in different ways. But the, that we see the big picture and that we don't, you know, have conflict. Instead, we have constructive criticism and uh, collegiality like today. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you both. I love you both. You're both very dear friends of mine.
Love you both. Thank you so much. This will air very soon. I just have to get it together. Of course, it will not air on YouTube. <laughs> but it's part of an intro, trying because most of my audience is on YouTube. So to get them over to see it, I have to edit like an intro that YouTube won't censor. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Love you both so much. This has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, conversation. And we we must have more and more of these. We just, that's what the series is. Can we please have a conversation? Please is the magic word. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Judy. Okay. You. Love you. I'm going to see you in PA, right, Judy? Is that October? October 21st. It's actually only a two-hour drive from me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, think, I'm coming probably from Florida. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll be there. Okay, great. So I'll see you again in PA. Okay. okay. Thank you, Andy. Love you guys. You. All righty. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye.